Good morning, Hope Bell. If we could all just stand and give God one of our highest praises today. Come on now. Let's clap it out. Come on. I know we got it in us. Come on now. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name, and now your joy awaits my praise. So here I stand, you are my God, my faithfulness, my solid rock. And I give thanks for all you have done, and I will sing of your mercy and your love, your love is a failing, Lord I am grateful, and I give thanks for all
Thank you, God. You are so good to us, Lord. You're so amazing that we get to come in here on a Sunday morning, God, and just praise you, Father. Lord, I pray for every single person in here, Father, that we just find your fit, God, and then we feel your love in every aspect of being here with you, Lord. We just open our hearts to you, God, and just allow you to speak to us in any capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Hopeville. We are so glad that you are here today, that you chose to come here today and worship with us and celebrate with us. If you could just say hello to someone next to you and uh, tell them how much you're enjoying the multiple weathers today in Michigan, the week. Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Great to be with you as we gather for worship and express our thanks and gratitude for God. I'm joined on stage with Adam Harbaugh, who is our outreach pastor, and two very special guests, Robert and Diane Rucker, who are longtime outreach partners with us. Uh, we began that relationship in 1979, and for the last several decades, they have been serving. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, you know, today is about celebrating their decades of service with a ministry called Wycliffe Bible Translators, whose heart is to get the written scriptures into the hands of Bibleless people all over the globe. And to get a glimpse of much of their service, which was in Papua New Guinea, we have a short video that we'd like to show you of just how God has used them through the years to impact people with the power of God's love and his word. Let's take a look. We started the Anjam Bible Translation Program on September 20th. 1980. Diane and I moved into the village on that day and started living among the people and learning the language. And it was in 2001 that the whole New Testament was completed. In 2012, we decided to do a revision. And then today, uh, um, in 2015, we're dedicating it. Sim Kenyam, come down one thing, just a thinking blow. Arim, Manusalo read, Thomas Arim Tasulamas. Now long this la 14 August, me pla bring him this la two pla one time. Audio recording one time, revision Bible. Anjan Bible now come up now. Bear me, I'm a master. We've seen a new generation come up since we first started, and there was a fellow who came to our house when he was just a little little boy and we were handing out t-shirts and he, uh, if he could memorize 10 Bible verses in the Anjam New Testament, he would get a t-shirt. And so years later we come back and he tells us how that impacted him so much that he has been a youth leader in, in the church and uh, a strong believer himself. So we've seen a number of instances like that where people growing up that used to be young and then got older and then they showed a, a real interest and uh, true uh, faith in Christ. All Protestants, you know, patient. 
So may ask him on one very long and jump please. You may must pray a plenty. God and strong blow you. Holy Spirit by pushing thing thing blow you me. No come up more kind to God say. Amazing. Well, hey, Robert and Diane, it's great to have you both here this morning. And I'm sure we could spend hours picking their brain about all their experiences over the years. But one of the things from that video that stood out to me was just uh, the the range of dates, 1980 to 2001 is when you completed the New Testament. And so what, you know, this is a ministry that really you were in it for the long haul because there were 17 years beyond that. And so what was it about Bible translation that really uh, piqued your interest, and how did God use that uh, in your lives of service? (laughs) (laughs) I actually became a believer through the scriptures. I was in the army, and I was reading my Gideon New Testament late at night on guard duty, and I was reading the Gospel of John, and it was through that experience that I actually became a believer in Christ. And uh, nobody ever witnessed to me. It was just the witness of the scriptures themselves. So from that point on, the Bible was very important to me. And so when I got out of the army, I looked for a good Bible-believing church, and I found a church in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio. Their motto was the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And I knew that was the church I wanted. And so I went there. And at this point, I still didn't have a career plan in mind. I had already had a college degree from before going in the Army in mathematics, but no career plan. So I decided to go to Bible college for a year with no other purpose than to just simply learn more about the Bible. And so I went down to Dallas Bible College, and that's where I met Diane. And that's where I learned about Wycliffe Bible Translators for the first time. They have their training center there in Dallas. And so I found out for the first time of all these languages in the world that don't have any Bible at all. And the Bible was so important to me. And I thought, wow, so many people groups don't even have a word of scripture. So then I knew what I wanted my career plan to be. I wanted to be a Bible translator. So Diane and I took the training there at Wycliffe there in Dallas. And uh, then my home church in uh, Columbus and Diane's home church, Hopevale, commissioned us to go to Papua New Guinea. And that's where we went. And started translating the Bible for the Anjum language group. (laughs) That's an awesome story, and I love just the way that you said, hey, the Bible is important to me, and to see that need that other people don't have that, and to just step in and Mm -hmm. fill that need. That's powerful. Um, So as you reflect back uh, on your experience in ministry and Bible translation, maybe just what's one big thing, one highlight that stands out to you about how you saw God work and how he used you in that? Um, Actually, um Robert touched on it a little bit in the video, um, that t-shirt story. I'd like to expound a little bit more on that. Um, He didn't mention that the t-shirts were made by Hopevale. (laughs) There was a group of kids and they painted them or something and they sent them over, but there was only 10 of them. (laughs) So like, who do I give these to without making everybody else mad, you know? So we said, okay, they're going to have to earn the T-shirts by memorizing Bible verses. And so we printed um, different Bible verses out on different cards, and people came to the house and got the cards, and then they'd come back when they felt like they had the verse, and occasionally we sent them away and said, work on it some more. <laughs> and then 
And so there was this one boy that came to the house and he said his verse and I said to him, which is don't just put it in your head, put it in your heart. And then years later in 2005, I went back with Grace and her fiance to visit the village and we happened to run into that boy and he told me, he remembered how much that meant to him that I said, don't just put it in your head, put it in your heart. And that's when he came to Christ. And so seeing years later, the younger generation coming up with faith in Christ, and when we were back there for the dedication, it was just amazing to see our kids all grown up relating to the kids they used to play with all grown up, and they're following Christ. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. one of those things I'm sure there are countless more stories of how God used uh, you know his word and as you work to translate it in the lives of people uh, and so you know we're just really grateful for the opportunity that we've had to partner with you guys over the decades and again just thanks for being here this morning and we we'd just like to close our time uh, in prayer for you guys this morning so as a church let's just do that together Heavenly Father we we are so thankful to be uh, have this opportunity to stand before you and just look back on your faithfulness uh, to the ministry that we've been able to partner with, uh, with uh, Wycliffe and the Seed Company, uh, Robert and Diane, and just their tireless work to translate your word so that people in Papua New Guinea who didn't formally have the Bible have your word and they can read it for themselves and your Holy Spirit can speak to them in a very personal way. And God, we know that you have touched many, many lives through that project over the years. And as uh, the work of Bible translation continues, we just pray that you would continue to uh, make straight the paths of uh, all of that taking place so that uh, the gospel can be heard and read by people in their language yes. uh, in the future as well. And so just, Lord, we just want to lift up Robert and Diane and just uh, a special prayer for them this morning of thankfulness and appreciation for their work uh, to translate your word over the years and just ask that you would continue to bless them and their family uh, as they continue to serve you. And Lord, may you shower uh, your honor upon them. It's so moving to hear the story of faithful service over the long run and how, God, you use that to um, impact a people, a, a community through the Anjam New Testament and, and the ministry, the incarnational ministry of Jesus, of them just being there and being Christ to them. And Lord, may Diane's words echo with all of us that when we hear your word, it's not just up in our heads, but Lord, you would plant it deeply into our hearts. And may their example motivate many of us, especially those who are younger here, to give their lives in service of you, whatever that looks like, because there's no greater honor, no higher purpose than living for you, Lord. We do pray, God, that there would be a sense today where Robert and Diane uh, feel our gratitude, but even more importantly, sense your pleasure upon their lives. It's been an honor and privilege to celebrate their decades of ministry this morning in the context of worship. Lord, we are grateful, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we express our appreciation to Robert and Diane?
Only a couple quick announcements as we continue this morning. Uh, when you came in this morning, and there's, uh, you should have found a, a card on your seat called My Community. And we would encourage you to take a moment to fill this out. Uh, if you fill it out, and then when you're leaving the auditorium today, we're going to have some baskets as you exit and can drop it in there. But if you share your information with us, that's just one more way that we'll have to be able to communicate about what's taking place in the ministries of Hopevale and just help you stay a little bit better connected uh, to the body of Christ here and how God is at work. So we'd encourage you to do that. Uh, and also on November 2nd, which is a Friday night, we're going to have a, a, a church-wide Bay City and Saginaw night of worship right here in the Saginaw Auditorium. And so we would encourage you to come out. We're really, really looking forward to that night, just being all together and being able to praise and worship our God together. So we hope you can make it for that. Well, as the ushers come forward, we want to uh, prepare to uh, give of our tithes and offerings. And, you know, hopefully just some of the things that we've seen and been able to do this morning is an expression of how we desire to make God's name great among the nations, right? And so whether that's Bible translation or being able to gather uh, here in Saginaw and Bay City on a Sunday morning to praise and worship the Lord or uh, having our people just go out and be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in our community. These are all ways that we have been called to live out our faith uh, so that the world around us knows about who Christ is and what he's done for them. And so that's just a small snapshot of what we're giving towards so that God's word would be made known and people would be able to give their lives to their Savior in response to that. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to give. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. And as we've said, just the opportunity that we have to be in this building today as your church. God, the church is the people. And Lord, we just want to stand before you and acknowledge that, that we are your people and we want to do your will with our lives. And so God, would you take all of who we are, the ways that you have gifted us, uh, the ways that you have positioned us, and uh, that we would use all of that, all the resources, all the talents that you have given us to make your name great. God, this is all about you. And so would you just take and use us as your body here at Hopevale uh, in powerful ways all around the world. God, that you would use us in ways that we cannot even imagine right now so that you would be glorified. And so God, just as we give, would you just take and multiply these gifts and offerings so that you would receive all the glory and that people would come to know who you are in a personal way. We love you, Jesus, and pray all this in your precious name. Amen. You can remain seated as we continue in worship and continue in offering. Um, we're going to sing a song that we've done a few times already here called Jesus I Come. And every time I listen to it, I find myself sort of connecting with a different verse, with a different line. And so I know we all come here and we're all in different places and there's different things going on. And so I just hope as you, as you listen and as you worship, maybe there'll be something that will really connect with you in a different way today. I come, Jesus. 
walking through those doors is difficult. And so when they say, Jesus, I come, it's, it's because they had the strength, they had the courage to come here. And for some of us, God, maybe it's just that we're letting go of something that we should have let go of a long time ago and giving it over to you. God, you have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. And Lord, I just pray that all of us today, as we worship, as we hear Dan's message, that we're able to feel you and to sense your presence and to know that you are here as we come to you. In your name we pray, amen. I definitely felt the Holy Spirit tug at my heart. Um, we were at a spot of just stagnant with our walk with God. 
And we, we had been praying for a while that we needed to be stretched and be out of our comfort zone. And so uh, we prayed about it and started going to some of the services. Felt like it, it was the next step. They just said, sign up for what you think you can do. And um, we just said, hey, I think I can do this and you can do this. So let's put our names down. Yeah, honestly, we had no idea where we would end up. And basically we're like, okay, where are their needs? Nathan's like, let's just give it a shot. So I talked to kids ministry and they found a spot in the welcome because I like to greet people. I like people, I like to talk. It was the perfect fit. And now I love serving each Sunday. I have fun doing it or I, I make it fun for me. I mean, people, you know, they're the first person you see, um, you wave, you smile. It's it's nice uh, working with the other, other people on the team. So I'd say like teamwork or camaraderie. I would say connection, not only with the families walking in, but also with the people you serve. That was huge for me. I definitely believe we would just come and go. And uh, you don't necessarily grow, or we didn't grow deeply each week when you don't have that connection with people. It's really a church family, and that's what we were striving for. He new in challenging us uh, to take that step that it would uh, definitely uh, grow us in ways that we couldn't imagine. Yeah, I just have always been a believer. Um, sitting comfortable will never experience growth. And stepping out in our comfort is where God, you know you need God. And we are more dependent on Him when we're uncomfortable jump in yeah i'd say just do it you can you can come up with as many excuses as you want and they'll all sound valid to you uh, but until you do it and are um, stretched um, that experience will outweigh any excuse that you come up with yeah jump in have fun and just go with an open mind open heart and see where god leads So last week we began uh, a new series for the month of October called Find Your Fit. Find Your Fit. And as part of this series, we've been sharing stories from people here at Hopevale about their experience in getting involved with serving. And the young couple that you just saw and heard from, Nathan and Amanda Ewald, are a great example of that. And a great example of what I talked about last week, how serving others makes our sense of belonging in the church feel even more real to us. Actually, the Ewalds are now part of Hopel Bay City, and so when you heard about them uh, signing up on a list, and they were describing that, and having no exactly idea exactly what they'd be doing, that's the truth, right? When they thought, hey, let's give it a shot, we hadn't even launched our Bay City campus yet, but here we are now months later, and look what has happened. They have connected with others in the church. They have grown in their faith in ways they couldn't, quote, have even imagined, right? That's what happens when you serve. Well, I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopevale. I'm excited about what this series means, what it means for us collectively as a church, what it means for you personally, and what it means for the Great Lakes Bay region and beyond. And speaking of the region, it's great to 
have those of you in Bay City as well. Uh, glad you can join us today. So last week, right, we kicked off this series, Find Your Fit, and I talked about experiencing this church as your community, your community, that especially for those of us who know Jesus Christ personally as our Savior, who have been included in his big C Church of Jesus Christ that spans the centuries and the continents, this small C local church called Hopel is where you belong. Belong in that this inclusion, the, the belonging is what God has done for you as a Christian, that this is your reality whether it feels that way to you or not. And yet my heart is that for everyone who calls Hopel their church home, is that what is real for you would feel more real to you. And that's why I wrapped up last week by talking about our environments and our experiences, where as a church, we want to create these welcoming environments of acceptance by loving one another the way Jesus has loved us, and then living out that love in the practical ways of honoring the one another's of the New Testament. And environments are something we are together responsible for. They're one half of the belonging equation, but that other half, though, is our experiences. Our experiences, and that's what we're each personally responsible for, right? To take that step toward the open seed. Now, there are numerous things that fall under the experiences heading. You heard some of them in the video, but a key experience to feel like you belong is getting involved in serving. Serving, and like I said last week, that in all my years as a pastor here, I've seen play out over and over again that serving here at Hopewell is the number one way people feel more connected to the church. More connected to the church where this church becomes their community. And so today then and for the rest of the month, I want us to dive deeper in this whole idea of what it means to serve in the church. And let me just say this up front, that this series is about so much more than just some kind of volunteer drive, right, where we've got some needs and we've got some openings that we're just trying to fill. Now, what we're going to see in this series is that God's heart for us to serve isn't about filling some slots. No, it's about something much more than that. It's about finding your fit in the body of Christ, and it's about discovering your purpose, discovering your purpose, a purpose, by the way, that is so much bigger, so much greater than anything you or I could ever dream up on our own. This came to my mind last week on Monday night. I was watching Monday night football, and that game happened to be the game where New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees broke the NFL's all-time record for most passing yards in a career. And he was interviewed after the game, and he talked humbly about what of honor that was to, to break the record. He credited his teammates. He remembered his late grandfather and his mother, who were both very influential in his life. He talked about how special the city of New Orleans was to him and to his family. And then he put on his dad hat. And he told the interview what he tells his kids every night before bed that their dreams are possible, that hard work is essential, and that, quote, God has equipped us for great works. Right there, national television, right? God has equipped us for great works. Powerful moment. Now, I don't know what you think about football. And yes, most young men who dream of the NFL don't play past high school. But in the context of that interview, it was clear that what Drew Brees was experiencing in that record-setting moment 
was far beyond anything he could have ever imagined on his own. And it was all part of a God-given platform that he has used to influence the city of New Orleans for good. But see, that's just one high-profile example. From there, I could easily turn it around and look to many of you. Really? You who in your, okay, lower profile lives, right? But you've experienced the exact same thing. You have. It's what we heard from Nathan and Amanda today. It's what you heard from Melinda last week, that there is meaning, that there is purpose to be found when we serve God by serving others. Now, just to be clear, that's not original to me, right? I didn't make that up on my own. No, that's the message that Jesus taught, and it's the message that Jesus lived out throughout his life all the way to the cross. And then after Jesus, there was another high-profile personality who lived back in the first century who not only taught this as well, but he also experienced it for himself. Unfortunately, though, experienced it the hard way. His name is the Apostle Paul, or as he was originally known as, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. And actually, his past is important for us to know because it's a big part of his story in discovering the great purposes that God had planned for him. See, when we first meet Saul of Tarsus, he is a well-respected, highly accomplished man in his profession. More specifically, he is a top-ranking religious leader in first-century Middle Eastern Judaism. People knew Saul, and people feared Saul. They feared Saul. Why? Because Saul was a man of power, and he used that power to keep people in line. And when they didn't fall in line, he organized the efforts to make their lives miserable. So what he did, and at the very top of his misery list, were the original followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Saul headed out for them. And in one instant, history tells us that a follower of the way, that was Christianity, what it was known, first known as, by the name of Stephen, was actually put to death by stoning. Stoned to death because he wouldn't recant his blasphemous beliefs in Jesus. And Saul of Tarsus was right there, supervising the whole thing as it went down. Now, 20 centuries later, boy, a story like that sounds horrible to us, right? That someone would be put to death in such a brutal way for blasphemous beliefs. But back then, it made total sense. And it made Paul, Saul a very important person. It did. As a matter of fact, I, I bet that if, if they did this post-stoning interview, right, and asked Saul what he thought of, he would have puffed up his chest. He would have took pride in his life purpose. And he would have talked about how much God was pleased with him in that moment. It's the way Saul's mind was wired. It's the way his life went. And it went like that for quite some time until. Until Saul had this one-of-a-kind, unexpected, supernatural encounter with Jesus. Now, you can read the details of that encounter in the New Testament book of uh, Acts chapter 9. But let me just say this, that after that encounter, everything changed for Saul. Everything changed. He experienced the living Lord Jesus He became a fully devoted Christ follower, and it gave him a whole new perspective on his life. God changed his name from Saul to Paul, and what he once thought was so important to do and to be in life 
now became worthless to him. Worthless because God had given him an even greater purpose for his life, a purpose that he would discover by serving Jesus. And so here we are now, right, halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, and we are recipients. Those of us gathered in this room, we're recipients of that greater purpose. See, among other things, Paul is the primary writer of the New Testament. The primary writer. More books bear his name than any other New Testament author. And even to this day, then, God is still using Paul to let other followers of Jesus, like us, know how we too can discover our purpose in serving. Now, I'm going to show you what Paul says in a minute. But first, I just want to give you a simple definition of what it means when I say serve. Simple definition, that serving is using your unique God-given gifts to help others by putting their needs ahead of your own. Serving is using your unique God-given gifts to help others by putting their needs ahead of your own. See, God gives all of us resources like our time, our talents, our treasures, and they're unique to us, right? No two, of, no two of us are alike. And so we're to use those gifts, though, not for self-serving purposes, but rather for the benefit of others. In other words, serving isn't about you. It's not about you. It's not about your position, your power, your prestige, your prominence, your popularity, your possessions, your pleasures, and everything else Saul of Tarsus thought a meaningful life was all about. But again, Jesus changed everything in Saul's life. His sins were forgiven, his guilt was erased, his past is redeemed. And all of this because of grace. Grace. That if you had to pick just one word to describe the theme of Paul's new life in Jesus Christ, it would be grace. Grace is something that he talks about over and over again. And he connects grace to everything in his life. Everything, including this idea of serving. Let me show you what I mean. That if you have a Bible with you, paper or electronic, feel free to join me in the New Testament book that Paul wrote, one of many, called Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, for those of you who don't have much familiarity with the Bible, I just want to say something quick about that word, Ephesians, right? That's rather peculiar to us. That and other book titles like it in the New Testament, because I don't want you to be intimidated by the Bible. See, a word like Ephesians, right, is long, it's unfamiliar, it's hard to pronounce. So here's just a, a quick pro tip for you, right? That most of Paul's books, again, all of them are in the New Testament, that most of them are titled based on the people that he's writing to her in a certain geographic location, right? People, Christians, gathered in a certain geographic location. So Ephesians is written to Christians in a city called Ephesus. Or the book of Colossians is written to Christians gathered in a city called Colossae. Or here you go, I'm going to give you a quiz. book of Romans was written to people in Rome, right? As a matter of fact, I think if Paul lived today, he might even write a book called Michiganders or Michiganians, whichever your preference is, right? And so that's the deal with the word Ephesians and a lesson. Okay, now let's look at the passage, right? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is that banner over Paul's life? What did I say? What was that one word? Grace. Here it is, grace. And what is grace? That grace is essentially the unearned and undeserved favor of God. That was Paul's grace full life after he met Jesus. But before, as Saul of Tarsus, it was grace less. See, Saul thought he had earned and deserved God's favor. He did, and that after all, he had kept all the religious rules. He had all the religious pedigree. When it came to his credentials, no one could come close to measuring up to him. Unfortunately, though, us earning, us deserving, us meriting our way to God isn't how it works with him. Thankfully for Saul, though, when he wasn't even looking for it, God's grace invaded his life. Invaded his life and it saved him, meaning that God's grace rescued him from God's righteous judgment. It restored him back into the, a relationship with his creator, the one he was always meant to enjoy. And so what was true for Paul is also true for these first century Christians from Ephesus. And guess what? It's still true for us today. It is that the same rescuing, the same restoration can be our experience as well. And how does it come? It comes by grace through faith. Now, I added these words in parentheses here just to tell, just to, you know, amplify Paul's message, right? It's not just grace, it's God's grace. And it's not just faith, it's your faith, it's my faith. And then here's the thing about faith. Faith is only as strong as the object you place your faith in, right? And what Paul's talking about in the context here is faith in Jesus Christ, the one crucified, the one risen, the one who's coming again, right? See, the gospel, this good news of salvation is not about what you and I have to keep on doing for God. No, it's about what God has already done for us through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. That's grace. And then just in case we don't quite get it, Paul makes sure we do. So he goes on, right, the rest of this verse into the next. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is a gift, the unearned, undeserved favor of God. Not by works, verse 9, so that no one can boast, so that no one can take credit, so that no one can say, look at how morally impressive I am, which Paul did much of his life when he was Saul, right? Look how morally impressive I am, God. Aren't you impressed with me? That's not how it works. No, grace is the greatest gift ever. It's the greatest gift ever, but it's humbling to say that you need it. That's why no one can boast about it, because God's the only one who can pull off something like that, right? Now, one more thing about grace, and then we'll move on. As wonderful as God's grace is, it demands a response. God's grace, his goodness expressed to us through Jesus demands a response. A response where you can either accept it or reject it, but you got to do something with it. Now, again, as a pastor in my years, I find that people 
reject the grace of God for one of two reasons. It's either ignorance or stubbornness, right? Ignorance says, I didn't know there was such a thing as grace. I find this with a lot of people maybe who grew up in church environments who are just trying to be good enough in keeping the rules and making sure God's not mad at them, right? But that's a total misunderstanding of who Jesus is and why he came. See, it makes sense that people don't have a grasp on grace, that ignorance is a real thing, because what else in the world resembles God's grace? Nothing, right? But here's the thing, now you know. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, now you know. Now you know that Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross in your place for your sins. And that through your faith, through your trust, through your wholehearted belief, reliance upon Jesus, grace can be yours to experience forever. Do not let your ignorance stand in the way between you and grace. The other obstacle, though, of stubbornness is trickier. Because if ignorance says, I didn't know, then stubbornness says, I don't need. I don't need. And maybe that's where some of you are, right? Thanks, but no thanks, God. I got this on my own, right? If that's you, I would just plead with you that you would take the humbling step to look to God and say, God, I need you. I've been trying this thing on my own. I've been trying to, to, to be good, to do good all my life. And it just blows up in my face again and again. That's God trying to tell you a message that you need his grace. And in the same way that God used drastic measures to get Saul's attention, he'll do whatever it takes to woo you to his grace as well. Humble yourself. Tell God that you need Jesus, right? Don't let your pride get in the way of keeping you from everything that your heart is longing for, right? Because in the end, it's all about grace. Grace changes everything. Everything, including your true purpose in life. And let me show you what I mean. Back to Ephesians 2. So on the heels of explaining this glorious gospel, Paul goes on to say this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is Paul saying what I tried to you know, emphasize last month in our Engage series, that coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior isn't the end of the journey, it's just the beginning. That after explaining in verse 8 and verse 9, here's how you come to experience the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, now here's what you need to do with it, right? Now we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, recreated in Jesus to do good works. Now you'll notice I did a little asterisk thingy here that when Paul says do good works, this is what he's trying to say. He's not saying do good works as in, yeah, they're all right, you know. We kind of use the word good for sometimes mediocre, you know, better than average, but not excellent, no. When he says that we're given a purpose of doing good works, Paul has in mind great works of goodness. Goodness, releasing goodness, beauty, joy, love into the lives of other people by serving them. That's your purpose. 
It's a purpose that God has planned out, Paul says, way in advance for you to discover with every step of faith you take. Your experiences, and not only that, but that purpose that God gives to you is unique to you. Your unique God-given gifts. Remember that definition for serving earlier? That's what Paul's getting at here. And I love how creative he is when he says that we are God's handiwork. Handiwork. Other English translations of the Bible use words like workmanship or masterpiece. The idea is this, that God is not a God of the mass production assembly line, right? Where we're all these interchangeable, indistinguishable parts. Now, God is so much more personal and artistic than that, that God gives every one of us unique gifts, talents, personalities, temperaments, backgrounds, and experiences both good and bad. We are, you are God's unique handiwork in Christ, and because of that, he gives you a special purpose to serve, all fueled out of this graceful relationship. So what's the definition for serving again? Serving is using your unique God-given gifts to help others by putting their needs ahead of your own. This is what it means to serve, and for the rest of this series, we're going to just go hard after what that means in your life and the process of discovering how and where we should uniquely serve. So that's where we're going to go. For now, let me just say this, that in addition to our Sunday morning services, we're also going to do a special Sunday night experience in a couple weeks at a Sunday night spotlight called Spiritual Gifts and Your Fit. Spiritual Gifts and Your Fit. It's a 90-minute gathering, uh, October 28th, Sunday, right here, 6 p.m. Pastor Steve, Pastor Ken, and I are going to lead an interactive teaching time where we're going to chase hard after this stuff and really make it personal for you. I'm going to talk more about this next Sunday. I just wanted to plant the seed with you right now. Okay, Sunday, October 28th, 6 p.m., Saginaw Worship Auditorium. And this is for both campuses, by the way, right? So that's what we're going to do. Now, before we learn more about discovery, though, next Sunday, there's one final aspect, okay? One final aspect about your unique God-given serving purpose that I want to touch on because this is so foundational, so foundational to the whole concept of serving and helping others, right? Get this right and great things will happen. Get this wrong and incredible messes will be made, right? Incredible messes, both in your life and the lives of others. And the foundation that I'm talking about is this, our motives in serving other people. The foundation of our motives in serving other people. Now, if we have a really good handle on grace, We have a really good handle on all that Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter 2, that what I'm going to say about our motives should come naturally to us. It really should. Unfortunately, though, when it comes to our own day-to-day experiences, we don't always really have a good handle on grace, do we? Or more importantly, we don't always let grace get a really good handle on us. So why do our motives matter? Well, overall, I think we can have three different motivations when it comes to serving and helping others. Three different motivations, but two of them miss the mark completely. They miss the mark because they miss the grace. Now the first of these two wrong motives for serving is this, guilt. Guilt. 
sad but true, a guilt-based motivation for serving is where a lot of religious people live and get it wrong. I, I bet that if we took the time right here and I gave you a couple minutes to think about someone in your life, I bet we all could identify a name, a face, a life, a story of someone that we know who's driven by guilt-based motivation, right? They help others because they're haunted by the fear that they're not quite doing enough for God to win them over, to earn his favor. That they live in this constant state of uncertainty, of anxiety and insecurity, wondering whether or not God is pleased or angry with them. Now here's what's tricky, okay? Guilt-based servers are some of the hardest working, the most admirable people you know. They are because they get a lot done. They're very driven, but that makes sense, doesn't it? Why? Because they serve as if their life depends on it. They serve as if their soul depends on it. But guilt, trying to keep God from not being mad at us, is not the motivation for serving that grace requires. Completely misses the essence of grace. Now, I'm not saying I can speak for God But my guess is that, and if we fall into this trait, that those of us who serve out of a guilt-based motivation, that it makes the heart of God sad. It makes him sad. You can almost hear God saying, why are you doing all this? Why are you so hard on yourself? Don't you know that my grace has erased all your guilt? That what my son did for you, the cross and the empty tomb, We've taken care of that. Your guilt is gone. You're free. Because grace says that there's nothing you could do that would make God love you anymore, and grace says that there's nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. It's never been about your performance. No, it's always been about Jesus' finished work. So don't serve out of guilt. And by the way, That's not just with God, that's also with people, right? People who guilt you into serving somewhere and that you need to keep doing more and more and more because that's what quote-unquote good Christians are supposed to do and clearly you're not doing enough, right? No, that's not how it works. Now, there is a place, right? There is a place for loving challenges in the context of a trusted relationship, right? It's okay if we in love, step on each other's toes once and again. But manipulation, intimidation, trying to use guilt to get other people to serve, that's not the way it works. It completely misses the mark of grace, right? So make sure that your motivation for serving is not one of guilt. Same goes for this second wrong motivation for serving, and that's greed. Greed. People who serve with a greed-based motivation, are those looking to get something out of it. It's much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And even us Christians can fall prey to this, right? Where after we're done serving and helping other people, it's like we're sticking out our hand to God and telling him, okay, God, where's the blessing? Okay, God, where's the payback? Look at all the hard work and selfless work I did for you. Now, where's the blessing? 
As a matter of fact, this is what shipwrecks a lot of Christians in their faith. Because in the midst of trying to do all these good deeds, some tragedy hits their life, right? Loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of a loved one. And they can't believe that God would let something like that happen to them after all they've done for him, right? That's greed. That's serving out of greed. That's serving just in the blessing. Now, I'm not trying to make light of anyone's suffering, right? And I know there are times that we can feel, right? Life gets so hard, we can feel like we're genuinely abandoned by God. But listen, if you're just in the serving game for the stuff, for the blessings as you define a blessing, as you put, you know, God, you better come through on my terms, then I think you're in an even worse place than the person who serves out of a guilt-based motivation. Because if guilt-based serving makes the heart of God sad, I think greed makes the heart of God mad. I really do. It goes back to this whole idea of idolatry, of loving the gifts more than the giver, of loving the blessings more than the blesser. I mean, really, think about your own life, right? Think about times when you've been a giver. Have you ever been on that side of the equation, right, where you kind of feel used and abused and like, wait, did you just do it for the stuff and the reward? It's so gross. And by the way, just so you know, no one ever does that to God and gets away with it, right? Now, greed is way off and greed-based, wanting the blessing, wanting God to pay you back or come through for you because you're serving him. That, too, is the complete opposite of grace, So there's only one proper motivation, the third motivation that's rooted in grace, right? It's not guilt, it's not greed, it's gratitude. Gratitude, where you are so overwhelmed by the grace of God in your life through our Lord Jesus Christ, you just want to keep saying thank you and thank you over and over again to God. And the gratitude that you want to express to God isn't just done through your words to him, it's also done through your service to others, right? That you want to help people in their time of need because that's what God did for you. It's the whole pay it forward kind of idea. Grace experienced should mean that we turn around and live a life of grace expressed. That's how serving is supposed to work. See, God's not up there in heaven thinking, you know, when are you going to pay me back after all I've done for you? That's not him. But I do think he wonders, right? I do think he wonders, has my grace captured your heart? Is your faith not just up here in what you know, but in here and how you feel and out here and how you live? Or how about this, does Christ's love compel you, like we saw last month in the Engage series from 2 Corinthians 5, right? Where Paul says, if Christ's love compels you, then you no longer want to live for yourself, but for the one who lived, who died and rose again on your behalf. Why? Because grace changes everything. Grace changes everything, including our motivation for serving And so when we're grateful for grace, when we're selflessly putting the needs of others ahead of our own, gratitude, I think, makes the heart of God glad. Glad. It pleases him greatly. 
Because in our own life, then, we're reflecting Jesus to the world around us. We're paying it forward, and we're expressing to others the same grace we have experienced ourselves from God. That's how it's supposed to work. That's where serving comes from, right? That is the great well where grace leads to gratitude. Grace leads to, and I love the way Paul expresses this in Colossians. Colossians 3, 17. Take a look at this where Paul says this. In whatever you do, okay? Whatever you do or however you serve, and we'll all serve in unique and different ways, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing what? What's it say? Giving thanks. That's the motivation. That's the only proper response to grace, to God the Father through him. Not guilt, not greed, but gratitude. That you're grateful, incredibly grateful. And, and it changes how you live. It changes how you love. It changes how you speak. It changes how you serve. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus, right? That's a grace-motivated, gratitude-motivated life of service. Got to get that one right. The only proper way we as Christians discover that purpose and serve as God would have us do. So in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to respond with a song of worship. But before we do, I just want to say this in closing. I believe, I I believe that God has a faith-stretching, life-giving, world-changing purpose for every Christian. For every Christian, including you, I really believe that. That God has uniquely gifted you to help other people as you put their needs ahead of your own, just like Jesus did. And in the end, it really doesn't matter whether your kingdom assignment is high profile, low profile, or even no profile. Because the very fact is this, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has called you into his service. And that means that what you do for him out of a heart of gratitude, is of the utmost importance. The utmost importance. Now, some of us have a really good handle on how and where we're supposed to serve him, and that's great. But others of us, we might be on the front end of that spectrum, and we're just beginning the discovery process, and that's okay too. Because wherever you are, you need to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your greatest purpose in life, your deepest fulfillment, is only going to be found in serving Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord, as a response to his grace in your life. So do whatever it takes to chase after that purpose with all your heart. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful people. Sometimes we don't always feel that. Sometimes we don't always express that. And Maybe that's part of what Sundays are for to remind us that we are people of grace, not achievement. People um, who need to be humble, not haughty, knowing that all that we are and all that we have is because of Jesus and the outpouring of his endless grace in our lives. But God, we're not just supposed to soak that in and stay amongst ourselves. We're supposed to serve that out 
to follow, to discover that purpose of serving, of helping others, of putting their needs ahead of our own and using the unique God-given gifts you've entrusted to all of us. So let us be that kind of church. Let us be those kind of people. God, for each one of us who are already in the game, encourage our hearts because it can get weary. It can get tiresome. For those of us who maybe are on the outside looking in and we're not sure whether we want to take a step, maybe we're fearful, maybe we don't think we can offer anything, let your grace, let even the words of Nathan and Amanda encourage us to give it a shot, to step out and watch you work, and that as we do, we'll experience the riches of your grace and your love in even deeper and greater ways as you use us to bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. Here, in our community, and around the world. So we, we're excited for that, God. My prayer is for all of us, every person here, that we would take the steps, go on the journey of discovering where we fit as we serve you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's respond in worship. Would you stand as the team leads us? Say
light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Well, I'll say that There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Come on, let's sing it out, church. Come on. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. Come on, sing it out. Come on. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. That right there is an anthem of grace. And grace says that your identity, that who you are is who God says you are. Not the people around you, not your critics, not your fears, your insecurity. No, it's what grace says who you are. And what does grace say? Grace says that you are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. And you have a purpose because you are created to do these remarkable works of goodness in Jesus Christ. So let's be those kind of Christians. Let's be that kind of church. Next week, we'll continue our Find Your Fit series and learn even more about how we can do that. But as you go from here, may you go in the strength and the confidence and the joy and the freedom that comes in knowing who God says you are in Jesus Christ. God bless you.